0: Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Don't ruin both your passion and your profession by trying to mesh them, but do be passionate about your work. You got to be passionate about your work. Find something that you're better at than other people that you find intellectually challenging and that you think you can have a future, a long term growth future in that work field. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their
1: teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed. Fix the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 69. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Pfeffer. Jason serves as a board member and trusted advisor to multiple technology-based businesses after growing and exiting three online startups. Jason founded SodaHead in 2006, which operated multiple business lines, including digital advertising and SaaS solutions for media companies. Jason launched MySpace in 2003 and served as the vice president of operations and on the executive committee. Jason oversaw the day-to-day and strategic execution of advertising, revenue reporting, safety, police uh, policy—excuse me, policy enforcement, government relations—and managed over 300 FTEs. Jason helped grow the company to 100 million users and transition it, and helped to transition it to News Corp after its sale for 580 million dollars. Jason enjoys spending his time with family, studying Torah volunteering, and growing businesses. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure. Um, And just for everyone, my last guest, Susan Sly, was the one who connected Jason and I, and that was an incredible conversation. Um, So I know that we're really in for a treat. I'm really in for a treat today. Um, And I wanted to jump right in, Jason. Tell us, you know, I I talked about how you got uh, all these various businesses up and running, Um, But we don't necessarily kind of start that way. When we're we're young, we might think of, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be a this, I'm going to be a that. Tell us the backstory. How did you get into this particular space? What made you become an entrepreneur and specifically focusing on tech?
0: Well, tech and this space didn't exist when I was a young kid. So there's no way I could have planned for it. I grew up in Beverly Hills, California. And up and down the street, all throughout my school, Hollywood executives, movie stars, you know, the the typical lifestyle every young kid has. So, of course, I thought I was going to grow up and become a famous director, writer, producer, something in Hollywood, Um, or follow the path of my father, may he rest in peace, but he was a lawyer and then a judge. Uh, But thank God I got into film school at USC and became a filmmaker. About 18, 19, I uh, decided to become a filmmaker and work through uh, interning in, in Hollywood, at independent movie studios, and thinking about dot-com technology wasn't even on the radar. Uh, when I went to school, I graduated USC. There was no real computer science degrees at the time. Uh, the dot-com was barely, the, the, the concept of dot-com wasn't there, but the internet was. So I was using Telnet and got really geeky about uh, using the internet when it was just text-based. Uh, because I wanted to get data from my fantasy sports leagues mm-hmm. so you know the, the concept of where I would end up is totally not the plan but if i look back and think about some sparks that happened when I was a, a young kid I would make board games and would work with my best friend at the time and that uh, okay let's see how we could sell these board games let's let's make games and, and be a little different than this and find our niche and and what's different about ours why is it fun why is it better how are we going to market it we would talk about those kinds of things never thinking really that later in life he and I would start a company called Sodahead and he went the investment banking route i went the film route but we our paths brought us back together because i would always be throwing out ideas like hey wouldn't this be a cool idea hey wouldn't this be a cool idea and so i think always i wanted to start a business and 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 had that, I, that concept of making money through building and creating. But because of my environment, I was pushed down the path of doing it in the film industry, which I really didn't enjoy. <laughs> so it was, an, it was an older business, hadn't changed in about a hundred years of how the process was, was done. Uh, people weren't there for innovation and cre- they were there for being creative on the film and, and putting business deals together and really, I, I started moving more and more toward the business side of the film industry, uh, writing contracts with the unions, doing uh, budgeting, scheduling. Um, so, I, so I always started moving, even though I thought it was going to be creative because of my environment, I, I just found an attraction to the creation of the business. And so I think that's kind of the the looking back, my how I got here. Nice. So it's
1: like, what I was hearing is that the, the ideas or the creativity came first and then you applied it to the business side. In other words, you're, you're sort of dabbling. Wouldn't this be neat? Like maybe even your own curiosity and then sort of bringing it to the world.
0: Yeah, it was. And a lot of that was from my friend who was the business side of things. Uh, he always just wanted to be business. His family was business. Um, and I thought I had to be creative. And so just the the left and the right that they say the left, right balance, uh, the creative, sure. the, the, the form and function just met. I, I love being where the form and function met mm-hmm. say, okay, this is aesthetically pleasing. This is entertaining. I thought I hit mute. Uh, this, this is really enjoyable, but how do we make money from it? So it's sustainable sure. because an artist can't live in a vacuum, right? An artist can't just not get any feedback from the audience. And one of the best feedbacks is if someone actually buys it. So can, your mom can tell you how much she loves it, right? It doesn't mean it's good art.
1: That's Yeah, that's such a great approach because I think so often, I mean, I'm in the coaching business, so, you know, I'm, I'm here to serve and I'm thinking I'll hang my shingle. I'll be put myself out there. It's all about the service. And at the end of the day, you have to feed your family. You know, you have to be able to do what's necessary in order to be able to do your very best work. So you have to be able to figure out what do people want? What do they need? How do you figure out how to market that and to package it in a way that people will buy it and be able to take advantage of what it is that you can offer? Um, but I think oftentimes, like you said, creatives in particular, they think I'm just gonna put out my work. How do they make it sustainable? Right. Right. And so I'm just curious, what, what would be some advice for somebody who's in that space? What are the processes that you've used or that you've seen people use to determine, is this a winner? Or do I need to fail fast on this one and move on to something else?
0: Failing fast is great. I love referring back to that um, that, that idea that fail fast. Don't invest too much time into something that's not going to ever succeed because you could have spent that time on something else. So fail fast is a really important idea. Pitching your work, your art, your ideas to friends and family. <laughs> You're always going to get positive feedback. Right. Asking, asking them for money. That's different
1: with my family. No.
0: Yeah. Some families are always going to be no, Yeah, Um, but it's going to be a different answer when it's those people. So asking them for money is a different approach, but that's that's tough. And that depends on the family's economics and such and finances. Uh, So going out to the public, going out to strangers, uh, they, they talk about the elevator pitch that if you happen to be in the elevator with someone for 30 seconds and it's an executive and you need to pitch your story to them, can you get that done to the executive. Well, it doesn't have to be just executives. You can talk to random people about ideas. Don't think that someone's gonna steal your idea. That, that was a huge problem that people had. Uh, I learned when I talked to entrepreneurs and, and coached and mentored people is that they're afraid people are gonna take their ideas. And in Hollywood, it was also a really you know taboo thing or a fear that, oh, if I tell them my script, they're gonna steal it. Like, look, they're not gonna steal your script just because of the idea. They're not going to make a company just because of the idea. It's execution. That's it's all about execution. Ideas are cheap, so feel free to talk about your idea to people, to strangers, to get honest feedback. There was a LinkedIn post just the other day, and I I added my comment to it saying, don't don't take the negative feedback from the the venture capitalists, the investors, as just they're wrong, and you got to go find other sources of money. You take their feedback as nobody wants to give you money. (laughs) Like, okay, tweak it. That's the most valuable information you can have. If they don't want to give you money, then the idea is probably not have the legs. If you're like, oh shoot, I know it has the legs. I know it has the legs. Well, then it's your approach to how to sell it. And that's a super important thing about the packaging of the idea. So if you're an artist, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, you're just an evangelist of any cause, Go out to a real audience that has some risk about telling you their feedback, Um, whether it's money, whether they wanna invest time with you, they wanna sit down, they wanna hear more, uh, but not friends and family.
1: So here's a great question. I struggle with this a lot, personally, as well as every time I have a conversation with someone like yourself about this, where do you know or how do you know where the problem lies? Like for example, I created a funnel recently It hasn't yet converted to the level that I would like for it to convert. Um, And I'm trying to sort of dissect or troubleshoot throughout different elements of it. Is there something broken? Is there something that's not resonating? Is Is it the marketing? Is it the ads that's supposed to pull people in? Where's the problem? And how do you fix it? Or do you not fix it and you kill it and you move on, right? So the question becomes, how do you know that it does have the legs, that it does have the, that fundamentally it's a good idea, but you just haven't been branding, I'm sorry, uh, packaging it or marketing it correctly, or um, determined that in fact, it's really wasn't a great idea and there's no demand for this.
0: Yeah, so it's a great question. And a lot of people always look for the solution, especially entrepreneurs, engineers, they look for solutions. You first got to define the problem and break the problem down into pieces that are understandable. So it, it's not, um, how do I carpool with such and such to the stadium? Like, hey, I, I, the game is tomorrow night. I want to get a ride there so I don't have to pay for parking. But I know this person always goes there. He always lives near this stadium and he drives past all the time. He can take me. So I go and ask him, hey, are you going home tomorrow after work? Right? And he'll say, let's say this time he says, no. Oh, shoot. You know, Then I got to go find another solution to my problem. But the problem wasn't that he's not going home. It, that, was, that, was not the, that was the problem that I asked him. The problem I really have is I need to get to the stadium. So instead of looking for the solution, like this is the guy that I'm going to get a ride because it's convenient for him to take me past this location. I said, no, I need to get to the stadium. So instead, I, I, I should have asked, I need to get to the stadium tomorrow night at 7. Can you take me? And if he says no, then maybe he says, but... That's because I'm getting a ride with so-and-so and and they could take you. (laughs) So I missed the question. And and so understanding what the problem is and where you're trying to go, I think is really, really fundamental that a lot of people overlook with trying to come up with gadgets and solutions and whiz bang interfaces and all these other ideas on how to solve the problem. They don't yet understand the problem themselves or they have a problem explaining it to someone who's trying to help them or buy it. And so So,
1: so let's translate that into, into something that, Let's say someone like myself is struggling with, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make this about me at all, but I think a lot of people in whatever industry they find themselves, if in fact they're in a service industry or they're just, they have a product, something that they want people to be, to be buying or taking advantage of, and they're not getting the traction that they want. What, you know, so I know my problem ultimately is that in my, my case, my funnel is not converting the right. way that I want it to, but that's right. a very big macro level problem. There are problems within the problem potentially.
0: Yeah. So the, the way that you said it's that they're not converting the way you want them to and the funnel is not converting, right? So you're, right. You're, you're defining the problem as this funnel. So first you got to figure out, do people want to buy it at all? Right. <laughs> Maybe no one wants to buy it. Yeah, so it's very possible. You make, however you make the funnel doesn't matter. They're going to get to the end of the funnel. And they're not going to put their credit card in. Correct. Um, so testing one funnel at a time is, Old, old school, right? We now have, it used to be then, okay, well, A-B testing. we got two choices. We're gonna test them both and see which one performs the best and optimize. That became and then became A-N. N is an infinite variable. With computer automation, now we can create so many different solutions and automated machine learning and such that instead of creating one funnel and testing it, create infinite funnels or as many funnels as you can and let the data tell you what the solution is. So don't, don't try to create the solution and force it on people and hope they go through it, but create opportunities for the solution to find itself. So with, with a funnel conversion of a website, it's like, okay, they're going to get to my website. They're going to go down this path and then they're going to click on the purchase button. that's, that's my funnel that created, they're not doing it. Okay. I'm going to try another one. Like you got to restructure that so that the funnels can create themselves and then you, you solve it. Sometimes that's really hard. You need engineers, you need investments, you need machine learning, right? right. Uh, it's said than done. Yeah. You
1: start I, think a lot, I think a lot of freelancers just got very happy with <laughs> all, all the people <laughs> I hire for my content creation and whatever else. Yeah, you really need.
0: Somewhere. And I, I think you got to go with your gut, right? Uh-huh. You do have to go with your gut, but then you got to look at the data. Sure. So now if you have one funnel, maybe you can afford two, three funnels with your time, your energy, your the, the money you have. So you create a couple of funnels. Start with your gut, but then go very contrary to your gut. When we were designing websites that we would send emails to people to purchase products online, the artists would come back with something like, that looks beautiful, we love it, make it a little more pink over here, make this line over here. We'd spend so much time going through this to make it aesthetically pleasing to us, but we weren't the customers. We weren't the ones taking the risk, putting our credit cards down. To, to purchase the, the item. We just thought we wanted to make it look good and based on maybe what we thought it should look like. But then the artist would always come up with his other solution, his other approach, I think, uh, would be a better one, his other funnel, so we could A, B test. And it was strange that we weren't our audience. And so the audience always chose what was not our gut instinct. Mm-hmm. They, they would go with the opposite, the other solution. And so don't That's stick definitely. with one. Yeah, don't stick with one approach. Understand your audience. If you're looking at the funnel, where in the funnel are they are they jumping out and not getting to the bottom? Yes. Is it that they never click that first action? Uh, do they not get to the website in the numbers you need? Because if you get 10 million people, then it's okay if only 1% get funneled down to the bottom. 1% conversion rate's great. So maybe yes. you need a bigger funnel at the top. Right. So you got to break down every layer from the top to the final part. Maybe the 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 purchase system that you're using isn't one that has the credit card stored by the user. They don't want to use that credit card type. They want to use PayPal or a different currency. So there's just, you have to analyze the data, but instead of being fixated on that one solution that you thought was the right one, come up with something totally different, hmm. totally against your gut and throw it out there and compare. Let right. the data...
1: Okay. So when I, when I list, <clears throat> a series of wins, you know, I founded this company, this company sold it for this X million, all that good stuff. So it sounds like, you know, the kind of person who everything went well for, there were no setbacks, no challenges, no problems, but we know that that's not the case. Even the most successful people have many, many setbacks. And for us to grow as individuals and certainly as leaders, we need to be able to learn from our failures as well as our successes. So share with us, please, a failure in your your journey somewhere. Uh, that really kind of moved you along and has helped serve you ever since?
0: I had so many finding one, right? It's hard. And I think that's the cliche, but finding your failures, understanding them and moving on, that's the biggest thing you can do. My, my son was working with some uh, some of his people on a team at work and he said, we just need them to fail. They don't understand that if they don't fail, they don't take risks and that it's okay to recover from failure. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the failure to serve the million board games that we designed as a kid, and we didn't sell a single one, right? <laughs> learning that this is hard, that this is not me imposing my will upon the customers, but that the customers dictate what they buy at the end of the day. Um, we had even temporary failures where we were raising money for SodaHead. And it seemed like the company, the venture company pulled out of the deal and we had just ramped up. We got everything ready. We started making our offer letters to people to get office space. We were just roaring to get going, and then they like, withdrew the, the offer, and it it crushed me. Right, like this is. I spent so much time. We basically canceled all of our other leads, and we were focused on this solution with this one partner. And then we had the deal on the table, and they withdrew it. Um, it really was devastating, but yet. We worked hard, got up, didn't sit there and cry for too long. <laughs> admit it was a little, little, bit, bit. little bit. yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit. Sure. Uh, You're entitled. Yeah, and so got up and went out there and worked harder to get the deal done and went back to the other leads. And it really helped us uh, shape the product, the idea, the team, get the resolve, know who was with us, who, who would bail at the first conflict, and who wasn't going to be a team member because they couldn't stand the challenge and the failure. Um, so gosh, there's so many, but th- that one really hit me as something I'd, I worked so hard to get to a point in my life where i was going to start my own company. Finally, venture backed company with, uh, with a couple of friends, some former coworkers. And it just came to an end really abruptly. I thought, yeah, just, but then it
1: makes it so much sweeter on the other side.
0: Yeah. I just took a little harder work, a little more resolve and, uh, go to, go get them attitude. I credit my friend, my partner at the time for uh, helping pull me up and (laughs) go back and get them. because he had seen a lot of failures in his business too. Good yeah.
1: No, it's important to have people around you that will support you um, because it's sometimes hard to carry that burden yourself. There's no question. So what's a piece of advice you'd give to your 20 year old self as you're kind of getting started? You know, there's so many young entrepreneurs out there, people who want to get going, or maybe even people who are reinventing themselves later on in their careers that never, uh, this doesn't have to be, by the way, about entrepreneurship. It could be advice about any area you want. But I'm just thinking of it in those terms uh, because oftentimes we think we're just going to have a great idea. We're going to hit the ground running and we're going to you know, achieve success in no time. Uh, but we know that there's a process. So, so share with us something that if you could pull your 20-year-old Jason into the room, uh, you would share with him uh, that would help him have even more success.
0: Take risks when you're young, especially when you're young failure is not the end uh sometimes it's the beginning or, or a spark of something new but get up from your failures and, and and take risks when you're 20 the world's your oyster right um it's it's you're going to open this thing up you're going to find the pearl inside but it's a lot of hard work prying up prying it open getting to the bottom of the ocean to find the, the oyster you need to work hard but you got to take those risks and it's going to be worth it um i also the biggest piece of advice I give to people, and I talk to young kids all the time, entrepreneurs want to be you know, business leaders and such, and they're 15, even up to 25. And I'll tell them, don't turn your profession into your passion. Sorry, let me flip that around. Don't turn your passion into your profession.
1: The anti-Steve Jobs here.
0: If you, if you take your passion and make it your profession, you're going to ruin both. And the reason is you make a lot of sacrifices when you're pursuing something you're passionate about because you enjoy it. I wanted to be in film, one, because everyone around me was in film when I was a young kid. But two, I really enjoy films. (laughs) Of course, it's natural. Go make films if you enjoy them. Right. Well, when I was behind the camera, when I was working on the contracts, when I'm talking to the actors, not reading their scripts, it really ruins it when I go sit in the dark and look at the big screen so my passion of oh i'm looking was that a two camera shoot was it a one camera was the other actor even there that day i wonder who was at the honey wagon you know like all these things about the production of a film the behind the scenes the sausage making Mm -hmm. all that was going through my mind whenever i watched the films and so i had to get away from making my passion a profession because my passion was suffering Mm -hmm. I, i wasn't really enjoying it on the other hand on the other side of it when I really wanted to make films. I was willing to go work 14 hour days for $50 a day. Mm-hmm. I was really w- willing to go make video games when I went to Activision and spend about 80 to 90 hour weeks working for pretty low wage. And I, and I went and asked for a raise and, and my boss said, there's about a hundred people standing behind you waiting to take your job for less money, mm-hmm. right? And they're probably just as capable. Mm-hmm. So when I knew that okay I want to I really love my job I love making video games right I love I love playing video games I love making video games I'm willing to work for less money well that didn't help my family when I'm there for 80 hours a week and I'm making less money right if I made more money maybe at a banking job that mm-hmm. I wasn't really super passionate about banking but if I made more money there, I'd be able to have more time with my family. and I could spend the money going to movies. I could spend right. money playing video games in the time I got back. So don't ruin both your passion and your profession by trying to mesh them. But do be passionate about your work. You, you got to be passionate about your work. Find something that you're better at than other people that you find intellectually challenging and that you think you can have a future, a long-term growth future in that work field.
1: I'm glad you ended with that because I think that that's where a lot of people get stuck. You know, a lot of people talk about, I mentioned Steve Jobs earlier, many people talk about follow your passion and make that your your focus for a variety of reasons you'll push through when you're stuck and all of that. And there's wisdom to it. Obviously you have a contrarian view and that's totally fine as well, but that opposite view, it's almost like, um, I forget uh, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs has a whole video about if you follow your passion, you'll have a lot of challenges, but if you get really good, and I, I think um, there's another author whose name is slipping my mind at the moment, also talks about the idea that when you work really hard at something, you develop skill, you develop many times a real interest in it that you didn't have before. Yeah. Um, so I like the fact that you 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 added some pieces about something you're good at, doesn't have to be your passion but something where you have some skill you have the ability to grow you can feel like you're making an impact and it'll 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 deliver the lifestyle that you need that you could provide for your family and all of that that really checks a lot of boxes
0: I tell people they're like oh I, I really love film so I want to go to the film industry and I'll say well do you like toothpaste? Yeah like, do you like cookies? Do you like ice cream? <laughs> why not why not go work for one of those those companies right they're like totally mind blowing. It doesn't make sense to them. Right. But if you can make a product that everyone uses, like toothpaste or cookies that nearly everyone eats. That's great. Wouldn't that be wonderful, too? It sure Um, would. Some side benefits of working at a cookie place, by the way.
1: (laughs) And either way, like I said before, if you think about your impact, you know, oftentimes back end back office individuals don't realize what they're contributing to uh, the success of a business. Uh, or a nonprofit, whatever it is that they're involved with. But if you can connect, I think John Deere is famous for bringing their people out to the fields to see the farmers utilizing their machinery in you know, in, in the fields themselves and gaining from it and really experiencing that. And that gives you a feeling of contribution, yeah. which, all, which all of us, without question.
0: Yeah, it's very important to, to see the product, to know what your building has useful purpose and meaningful uh, part of people's lives. Um, Another part about, you mentioned Steve Jobs, which I'm blessed to be in the same conversation Have <laughs> my name mentioned as his, uh, and another author and some other people. We can always see a few examples of these people that made their passion, their profession and became successful at it, like a Steven Spielberg in the film industry, right? Who has always wanted to be a filmmaker, I believe. Uh, there are gonna be those people, of course, but you're not hearing about all the failures, the people who didn't end up pursuing their passion as a profession and making it and who wasted a lot of time. Correct. Uh, and, and didn't get to enjoy either. And so I, I think it's important to remember that we always hear about the successes and maybe yeah. few examples of failures, but there's a giant gap in the middle of the majority that we don't hear about.
1: I think of the NBA and professional sports in this way also, you know, like there's only a very small percentage of anyone who's ever, you know, participated in high school or even college athletics that make it, to the professional level and yet so many kids think they're going to make it there. And that, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to quash any dreams. Correct. On the other hand, you know, it's, it's an interesting balance. So before we end this segment, just one story, I know you've met a lot of people, you've built businesses, you've just done a lot of really cool stuff. One great story from all of that that you'd like to, that you'd like to share with my audience.
0: Gosh, I, I got to ride the elevator with little Wayne and got to talk about the uh... You know, MySpace with Chuck Norris, I sat next to, you know, senators and vice presidents and speakers of the House. I've been a very blessed life. One story. Wow. It's so hard. Um, I think one thing that I I, I think about is right toward the end of our success. I don't want to say the end of success, but when we really were successful at MySpace, um, you know, having Rupert Murdoch walk around, you know, our office, looking at what he was purchasing, making sure that that everything he was up to to par that he that he wanted, and then he left, and it was a really stressful situation for us. And after he left, the executive team and I were kind of in the room. There was about three or four of us, and uh, and one of the guys said, "You know, Faff, we couldn't have done it without you," and and that was just really amazing. That um, you know, like it puts things in perspective that all this accomplishment, all these things that go on. And it's like, wow, I'd like to hear that feedback. Sure. It, it was great. You it was nice. It, it was really it was really helpful to think that I provided something that made it possible for all these people. Uh, the success of the company, there was hundreds of, of people, employees that benefited from this. There's millions of users that, that benefited. The, the stock market was affected with a public acquisition of our company. Right. It's a huge thing. And, and to know that my work paid off and to be recognized. That was really enjoyable.
1: Yeah. And to be recognized by your own people, you know.
0: Yeah. People I really admired.
1: So now we're going to transition to rapid fire. Again, we keep these nice and tight. I know that you're involved in mentoring as well, which is really neat. Three most important qualities of a great mentor
0: of a mentor,
1: a great mentor. Yeah.
0: Not the mentoree, but the mentor. I'm
1: the one that if I want to be mentored, who, what should I be looking for in a mentor? Three qualities.
0: Someone who hasn't six who's failed often someone who's humble. And uh, maybe those two are the same. <laughs> and someone who take who treats you individually and doesn't just give you the same speech he or she gives everyone else.
1: Yeah. Customizes it. That's custom- great. Personalized. The second better. one. Yeah. Personalized, even better. Uh, a quote that you live by or think about often.
0: Um, it, it's my quote, <laughs> which is don't turn your profession into your passion and your passion into your profession. You'll ruin both. It's like, I really try to separate work from life, work-life balance.
1: And I like to end with a goofy one, shower, morning, or evening.
0: Well, if you work hard, you do both, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. Yesterday, I did. That's
0: whatever sure. my wife tells me.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. So let me ask you this, Jason. Uh, you've given us so much, but before we wrap up with that life lesson, tell everyone listening to this episode where they can connect with you, learn more about your work, and uh, hopefully just be inspired by uh, by what you put out there every day.
0: There, I'm on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn slash in slash Pfeffer. There's another Jason Pfeffer out there, believe it or not. And he was in the film industry. So don't get confused. Uh, But LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out to me. And I I love helping mentor young people or talk about business ideas with people. And I I think I'm pretty easygoing guy about that.
1: Nice. Okay. And we're going to hook it up in the show notes. It'll be there. One final life lesson, please, Jason, uh, that we can wrap up our, our, our episode.
0: So up there is my family. I have wonderful, large family. And it's all about that. It's the most important thing in life, your day-to-day. You spend maybe 12 hours at at the office, uh, 14 hours at the office, but you do it so you can come home to your family, Uh, not the other way around. Uh, If you're going to the office because it's easier and fleeing your family, then (laughs) something's wrong. So make sure to put family first, find a good uh, life partner, and, and, and remember why you work so hard.
1: Beautiful, you know, because we talked earlier about entrepreneurship and really going all in, especially when we're young. And sometimes we think we're going to put off other things like family for a later date. And of course, everybody has that choice. But, you know, at the end of the day, we want to feel like we're really connected. We want to feel like we're really contributing. And I think family creates that opportunity for us more than almost anything else.
0: The, the test I always ask my entrepreneurs is, is this idea something you really ready to give up everything for, that on December 25th, eight o'clock in the morning, the servers are going down and you need to go to either the data center or to the office or you need to go somewhere. But it's also the same morning you're going to open gifts with your fiance's parents that you just met or about to meet for the first time. You know Which do you choose? And, I, and sometimes there's not a right answer to that as much as how they answer it or that they think about it. Yeah, uh, I like to see their reactions to that. Beautiful.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a, a delight to talk with you and to, to learn all about your, your experiences and, and, um, and, and, and on behalf of my entire audience, I want to, like I said, thank you for, for coming on. And I look forward to getting this out there very soon. Thank
0: you. Thank you for doing this to help others. This is a great way to amplify our voices, right. And, and, and help others. I wish I had people like that when I was younger, when there was no podcasts and YouTubes and all this for people Helping me along the journey. I had to go read books. That's right.
1: I still try to do that. But yes, that's big. Pleasure. Bye bye now.
0: Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the
1: show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen.